the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. The book of Zechariah, so powerful, so filled with messianic promises. Listen to this one. Chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt and foal of a donkey. And Alex McFarland, Bert Harper with you, and we're looking at Zechariah part two. We did it yesterday, and today we're looking at uh, some things more closely with messianic promise. And so I'm looking forward today in Zechariah and uh you know, the only book I know that I would say is above Zechariah for Messianic promise would be the book of Isaiah. Amen. Uh, Alex, when I read Zechariah, and again, I've read it, and every time I go through it, I, I just highlight. I, if you want to know, I've got some highlighted, highlighted, and then I've got a black mark under them. Then I've got a red mark under that black mark. It is so significant, and... Uh, the book of Zechariah is filled with hope, isn't it? Well, it, it really is. And you know what? I know we've kind of done an overview, uh, Bert, as part of our study on the minor prophets and the major prophets. Um, I think we could do an exciting series just on the Messianic uh, import of Zechariah. You know what's interesting is, um, especially Zechariah 9, nine that you mentioned, that says, O daughter Zion, shout, daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And as we know, on uh, Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Okay, ancient Jewish scholars believed that this was clearly about the Messiah, so much so that uh, they taught that if you dreamed of a donkey entering Jerusalem, you had salvation. Isn't that something? <laughs> Amen. And, Amen. I mean, that was an ancient Jewish belief. And the New Testament references either verbatim quote or kind of a reference Zechariah like 40 times. And the book of Revelation, the final book in God's scripture, the book of Revelation written by the Apostle John, uh, refers to Zechariah more than any other Old Testament book. Um, the two most frequently quoted Old Testament books in John's Revelation is Ezekiel and Zechariah. And, of course, you know, that's appropriate because the book of Revelation is the consummation of Scripture, the completion of history, the return of Jesus. And so this is really, really a significant book about our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And remember, this is written several hundred years before Jesus was even born. Isn't that amazing, Bert? It is amazing. And he is the next to the last Old Testament prophet. Of course, Malachi, Malachi. is the last. And it yes. is something how in the latter part of the minor prophets, you began to get it into chronological order, you know? And, mm -hmm. uh, and that is it. And Zechariah was a he was a contemporary of Haggai, which was older than him. Zechariah seemed to be of a younger generation. And Alex, again, I, again, we will probably skip around in Zechariah today. I'm just telling you because we're looking at the Messianic prophets, prophecies. But what's amazing is the same thing that happens. Uh, you get the coming of the Messiah the first time but also the second coming of the Messiah. Now, we've read, you and I both read chapter 9, verse 9, about coming on a donkey. Now, listen to verse 10 and following. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bowl shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And as far as you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. And and it goes on and on. Verse 14, the Lord God will blow the trumpet and go with whirlwinds from the south. Again, you have Zechariah looking at the mountain peaks of the of the coming of Christ. The first coming mm -hmm. and the second coming. And 
Uh, again, this is not original with me. The first person I ever heard it was Dr. James Travis, my professor at Blue Mountain College, when he said, now, when you're looking at the Old Testament and you're looking at the comings of the Lord, you're looking at the mountain peaks. And he said, what you don't see is the valley between the first mountain peak and the second mountain peak. And that is the church age in which we're living today. But Alex, again, Zachariah is so plain with some of his verbiage that it is unmistakable, first coming, unmistakable about the second coming, isn't it? Mm, Amen. Amen. Uh, You know, Bert, there's so many wonderful biblical titles for Jesus, Savior, Messiah, King, Lord, anointed one, uh, the Son of God, the Son of Man that we've talked about many, many times from Daniel. There, there's a name of, of Jesus, our Savior, referenced by the prophet Zechariah. And uh, to my knowledge, I don't know that you and I have ever really drilled down deeply on this term, but it's in there, especially in chapter 3. But it's also referenced by Isaiah 11. It's referenced by Jeremiah 23. And it's this title because it's capitalized in the Old Testament, the branch. Yes. <laughs> Bert, ha- have you studied on that word some? I have some, and it is beautiful. And again, Zechariah, again, which is, I, I would say, you know, uh, close to him, it's it's connected with Zechariah. Let me read mm-hmm. one of it, and then let, let's set it up. Chapter 3, and, and I'll start, if you would, uh, in verse 7 of chapter 3 to get the branch. If you'll walk in my ways, and if you'll keep my command, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts. I'll give you places to walk among these, those who stand here. Hear, O Joshua the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I'm bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, Mm. the stone that I have laid before Joshua, Upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I'll engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I'll remove the iniquity of the land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. Alex, I love that. Notice the branch, but it says, my servant, the branch. You know, does that not connect you with Isaiah, uh, the servant songs, you know? And the branch. And so here you have this connection, the root uh, of the tree bringing forth the branch. Go ahead, Alex. Well, well, this is amazing. And um, there, there are a number of ways to render this in Greek, one of which is, is uprising. Now, I'm going to come back to that. But in Jeremiah 23 and 33, it has referenced the branch as the king. And Matthew alludes to these. In Zechariah 3, it shows the branch is the servant. It'll say, my servant, the branch. And Mark references Zechariah 3. Now, in Zechariah 6, it talks about the branch being the mediator between God and man. Luke references this. Now, Isaiah 4 talks about the branch, the root of Jesse, um, that we talk about at Christmas. And John says that the branch really is, and he references Isaiah 4, God in the flesh. But here's, here's something beautiful from Luke 1. Now think about this, folks. And Zechariah was written like 530 years before the birth of Christ. But Luke 1, you're going to think, well, where is the branch in this? Listen, Luke 1, 78. Uh, John the Baptist is the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet to the way of peace. Now, you might think, well, where is the branch in that Luke 178? Well, the word uh, branch rendered in the Greek there is the word day spring. Isn't that something? That is amazing. And. And so let me just say this. There are a number of ways to say it, but God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to be our savior. And what's so amazing about Jesus, oh my goodness, he rose from the dead. Of course, that's proof enough for anybody. Only Jesus rose from the dead, but he fulfilled the law. 
He paid. He was our atonement, Isaiah 53. And he came to set the captives free in Isaiah 61. But in Zechariah, he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And uh, he would be called the, the son of David, the son of God, the son of man. Bert, who in history fulfills all these things and even more? I mean, uh, if you're looking for a Savior that is the fulfillment of the Scriptures, meets every criteria, you've got one option, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Alex, that is the thing that really strengthened me as a young person in college. Um, You know, you said you've never questioned everything. I can't say that. I question, is the Bible really real? Is is, is God really self-existent? And, mm. and the thing that would bring me to this is these Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus. Now, right. his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the possibility of them r- writing this years before, 800, 400 years before, and Jesus fulfilling them. And they said, well, that was just them writing. No, he fulfilled them. Even if it were, I'm just going to say it, it was him. Even if it had been men trying to write and remember all the prophecies concerning Jesus that was given in the Old Testament and then them bringing it into light in the New Testament, that would have been miraculous because, uh, you know, you and I, are, we've talked about the Andy Griffith show and how many times mm-hmm. uh, Barney can sing this time and he can't sing the next. Continuity errors. Yeah, the continuity errors are, are many. And it's not just there. A program that runs two or three years, they have those issues of continuity. But in the scriptures, you do not. So if you're like I was at just a short period of time, not long, is the Bible true? Is Jesus real? Is God self-existent? I want to tell you, get into Zechariah, get into Isaiah, look at what it says about Jesus, then look over in the New Testament and see how Jesus fulfilled those. And many of those, he had nothing, I mean, there was nothing that he had to do with it. The 30 pieces of silver being hung on a tree between two thieves, that was just what took place, but it was prophesied. Alex, again, these prophecies, not only do they just bless you, they give, I put spiritual iron in your blood. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Well, Matthew 27, when Jesus is offered vinegar to drink, you know, by a soldier, and uh, the Roman soldier put uh, a, a piece of cloth on a stick and offered vinegar to Jesus, which was prophesied in the Old Testament. How in the world could Christ have orchestrated that? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're right. Hey, i got to say this really quickly about uh, Jesus. Um, it was our privilege a number of times to have in our conferences Chuck Colson. And uh, Bert, uh, am I right? Uh, <laughs> Dr. Colson, he was a big deal, wasn't he? Was. he? he listen, uh, amen, amen. And just brilliant, oh my goodness, incredible academics, resume, served in the White House. He went to jail uh, because of Watergate, became a Christian. But um, what a great man of God and what a brilliant statesman for the gospel. Well, he was talking about how they had four people had to keep a story straight two weeks, and they could have gotten (laughs) away with Watergate. They couldn't do it. Uh, Amen. And so uh, our gospel is true, folks. This is Exploring the Word. We're going to come back after this brief break. Don't go away. More of Zechariah. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Christopher Godfrey, Director of the Office of Workers' Compensation Programs. His office was created to administer claims and assistance under the Federal Employees' Compensation Act. Isaiah 117 reminds us of the importance of caring for one another. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Christopher Godfrey as he helps to administer workers' compensation. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team a nonprofit, 
nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Whether it's the 50-yard line at a football game or the orchestra section in a theater, people know there's value in having the best possible angle on the action. But Dr. Tony Evans says we often settle for much less when our perspective is most important. He'll tell us why as we spend two minutes with Tony. If you really want to know about traffic trends, turn on the radio or TV and listen to somebody who's in a helicopter because they give you traffic reports. And they tell you what's happening, this highway, this highway, this highway, this highway, because they high up looking down. If you're on the ground, you're going to be stuck in traffic because you don't see what they see. You do not see the big picture. And God operates from up there, from heavenly places, from the spiritual realm. To put it another way, until we trade in human wisdom for divine wisdom, we'll stay stuck in life's traffic. Personal traffic, family traffic, circumstantial traffic, sin traffic. And even when we get off the ramp, because you ever got off the ramp to get out of traffic only to be in ramp traffic? And that's how many of us live our lives. We use human understanding to get out of this to wind up with that. But if you learn to operate from where you are truly seated, which is in heavenly places, you're looking at things totally different because you're looking at it from God's perspective, not from man's perspective. Authority works where Jesus Christ rules, where his jurisdiction exists. Learn how to start using the power God gave you when you submitted your life to Him. Check out Tony's CD series, Igniting Kingdom Prayer, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. When you die, are you going to heaven or not? You can know for sure heaven or not dot net welcome back to exploring the word on american family radio You know, the name Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. And welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland, Bert Harper here, and we're going through the minor prophet, although with 14 chapters it's not so minor, but the prophet Zechariah, written about 538 B.C. Uh, Zechariah is amazing because in the beginning, like the first six chapters, there's uh, eight visions that Zechariah has. But then in chapter uh, 6, verse 9, we, we turn our attention toward the branch, the bringer of salvation. And then uh, we're going to talk about the rest of the chapter, plus take your calls. But, Bert, um, like you and I were saying, oh my goodness, this this book is so uh, just uh, steeped in salvation prophecy, all pointing to Jesus and to the future, and we're going to get to some of the future uh, prophecies about the coming of the day of the Lord, but fascinating, fascinating book of God's Word, isn't it? It is. And one more thing, just let me, uh, he, he, Zechariah, he does it so well, but intermixing his challenges with his promises, you know? And right here, he rebukes hypocrisy in chapter 7, but then he comes in this area of disobedience, and I think it is worth us looking at chapter 7, verses 8, 9, and 10. Listen, then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. Now, Alex, again, that's going back to, to Exodus and saying how we're to treat one another when they were getting getting into the land. But notice, but they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, stopped their ears so that they could not hear. 
They made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Now, the reason I wanted to bring that up, that's what he said then. I honestly believe the church today, you've said it many times, Israel, Israel, church is the church, but we're both people of God that have our area of ministry. And this was true with them. I'm just telling you, we're to show mercy and compassion. We're to uh, not oppress the widows and the fatherless, the alien or the poor. He puts it to them. They did not do it. But again, as Zechariah was saying, he said, just because they did not do it in the past doesn't mean you have to repeat the history. You can break the chain and obey me. And that's what I'm saying today here in America with the church, with God's people. Listen, yeah, there's been some mess-ups that we've made, but we can start afresh and anew and let God use us to preach the gospel, help us to stand strong in in strength and compassion. Now, what happens, and I want, to, I want you to comment on this, strength and compassion can stand together. So many oh, people amen. think strength is, is is out there where you don't care and, and compassion is, is mush where, oh, you know, but it's actions. Notice he is saying take actions with this. Do not oppress them. Show mercy to them. It's not what you say as much as what you do. Isn't that the truth? Well, amen, absolutely. And, and you know, like so much of the Christian life, like, like you're alluding to, it's, it's a balance, really. Um, chapter 8, there's a couple of scriptures that, that just really mean so much. And by the way, what we've got going on here, you've got the branch, and then you've got from really 7 through following. Well, you know, all right, he had eight visions. Now, 7 through 8, there are going to be four messages, really, right. yes. uh, commands. Then future things, there's going to be two burdens, uh, that he's going to give kind of this overview of Christ's two comings, Christ's birth, Christ's return. And then it's going to close out in 12, 13, 14, some prophecies about the future messianic kingdom. And I really think in chapter 8, there, there's an allusion to this. Bert, i got to say this, I love um, chapter 8, verse 9. <laughs> the Lord of hosts says this, Let your hands be strong. You who now hear these words that the prophet spoke when the foundations were laid for the rebuilding of the temple, the house of the Lord of hosts. You know, I was reading Psalm 1. It was my privilege, Bert, yesterday to host the Hamilton Corner. And I opened up, I read Psalm 1, where it says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and he'll be like the tree planted by the rivers of water. Hey, let your hands be strong. And how do you have strong hands and an undivided heart? and a stable life by hearing the words of the prophets spoken through the prophets by the Lord. Uh, Bert, strong hands, a fruitful life, it must begin with the Word of God. Am I right? It is. It starts with the relationship with Him and then obedience. And both of them come from the Word of God. How can we say be saved unless we have someone that tells us and we hear it from the Word of God? And then we grow by taking heed to the Word of God and following it, Alex. It is all wrapped up in that, this Word. Listen, wrap yourself up in this Word, and this Word will wrap you up to, to mm. send you forth and let you accomplish all that God wants for you in your life. It is the Word of God. We do not worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible, but it's through the Bible that we can know God more fully. Yes, we could know that God is a great God by creation. We could know that God is a God who cares by conscience, but we know he's a God who redeems by the Word of God, Alex, and we've mm -hmm. got to declare that. And, and I think Zechariah does that. Uh, here in chapter 8, as you were talking about, because he talks about this this remnant and how he's redeeming it and how he's used it and how it's going to be truth. Listen to verse uh, 16. Amen. These are the Amen. things you shall do. Uh, don't you love Zechariah? He, he says, let's get down to brass packs. not what you say, it's what you do. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let yeah. none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor, and do not love a false oath. 
for all these things that I hate, says the Lord. Now, Alex, mm. look at that. Truth, justice, peace. In Amen. Christ, we have that, don't we? You know, I was just going to say, Zechariah eight sixteen and 17. <laughs> Folks, read that when you get a chance later tonight or something. Zechariah eight sixteen and 17. It would be a nearly perfect world if people would live that way. Am I right? You are exactly and, right. We can. Hey, but guess what? We can have that in our hearts, in our lives. We we live in a fallen world, but we have been restored in Christ in the inner man, Alex. Exactly. Well, you know, there's a verse I've quoted so many times about Habakkuk, um, who looks to the day that the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And along that lines, now, 18 through following of chapter 8 could be, I mean, it could be a lot of things, but it talks about the fast in the fourth month, the fast of the fifth month, and the fast of the seventh month, and the fast of the tenth will become times of joy, gladness, and cheerful festivals for the house of Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Now, in a way, um, part of what I'm about to read could be part of the millennial kingdom, actually. Um, yes. If, uh, the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year peace on earth, might be the, the fast of the tenth month, quote-unquote. But it says, people will come, residents of many cities, residents of one city will go to another, saying, let's go at once to plead for the Lord's favor and seek the Lord of hosts. I am also going. Many peoples and strong nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to plead for the Lord's favor. The Lord of hosts says this, I love it. In those days, ten men from nations of every language will grab the robe of a Jewish man tightly, saying, urging, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. <laughs> Isn't that something? Amen. Now, we're not in that time right now yet, but there. see, here's what's part of the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, that the day will come when Israel will occupy their land in a state of belief. Now, uh, Dr. Michael Brown and a lot of friends have told me how there are more born-again believers in Jesus that are Jewish today than at any other point since the first two centuries. But, you know, um, Bert, for the, much of the last 2,000 years, it's been what they call the times of the Gentiles. Now, there have always been Messianic Jews, but here in the last really 30, 40, 50 years, it's just exploded. And the day is going to come, and I, I actually think Zechariah 8.23 is a little bit of a reference to the millennial time when people will grab the robe of a Jewish person and say, hey, I want to walk with you because I've heard that the, the true and living God is with you. I agree with you, and when you read that, I think you do catch the the glimpse of a future that is that is is more than we have in the church age. We do Today. have God working in us and using us. But in that day, it seems as you are right. Again, chapter 9, there's judgment that's coming. <clears throat> but in that judgment, again, Zechariah does this. Uh, and I know it's, I sound like a broken record saying this. But in the midst of the judgment, he talks about the coming of the Messiah. And even mm -hmm. the second coming of the Messiah when he's talking about judgment. But you get to chapter 10. Uh, and, and you find out, <clears throat> now, again, there's some scriptures here. Uh, I, I want to read verse chapter 10, verse 3. My anger is kindled against the shepherds, and I'll punish the, the goat herds, for the word, Lord of the host will visit his flocks, the house of Judah, and will make them as a royal horse in the battle. Now listen, from him comes the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler together. They shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight against the Lord he is with them, and the riders of the horses shall be put to shame. Now, Alex, verse 4, the cornerstone, the tent peg, the battle bow, the ruler. Uh, I, I do believe those are references to who, he who is coming and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone, isn't he? He really is. He really is. He is the chief cornerstone. And, you know, so many of these prophecies, these are future things. And 9, 10, and 11 uh, really allude to this, the, the two different comings of, of the Savior and, of course, the Palm Sunday uh, prophecy that we talked about, which is just so prominent. 
uh, very and and acknowledged by the gospel leaders. And Bert, when uh, when Jesus was riding in, and everybody was saying, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." I mean, many of those who knew their scriptures had to have been thinking about this Zechariah 9, uh, don't you think? I agree. And then in chapter 11, listen to this, Alex, and I really, I know I'm rushing ahead, but these are just so important. Verse 13, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, this princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them in Mm. the house of the Lord for the potter. Alex? 30 pieces of silver? Let me see. Do I find that somewhere in the New Testament? <laughs> well, you remember uh, Judas sold out the Savior for 30 pieces of silver and then threw it down and said, I've betrayed false blood and uh, I've betrayed innocent blood. I've dealt falsely. And the Lord said, throw it to the potter. Now, do you remember they took the 30 pieces of silver? This is Matthew 26 and 27. And uh, they bought what was called the potter's field. And th- this is amazing that, uh, that it- it's the fulfillment of, of what Zechariah had written. Um, and a lot of it is, is kind of veiled, you know. Retrospectively, I don't think we have a hard time connecting the dots. But there at the time, it might have been a little bit oblique, shall we say. But... Um, let me say this. This is amazing. Can we move on in the interest of time probably to Zechariah chapter 12? Go right ahead. They will look on me whom they pierced. This is verse 10. Verse 10. I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves literally the death of a firstborn. This is like wailing on the death of an only son, Zechariah 12.10. And, you know, uh, what's so amazing is, I mean, the one who they pierced, again, who but Jesus could this be speaking of? No one but him. It is so plain. And again, Alex, hindsight, I know, is twenty twenty, but again, that's the glimpses that you get. This verifies, in other words, these and as you said, oblique, you know, look at them and you, oh, well, that is. And when you see it fulfilled, oh, yes, that's that little bitty verse over in the book of Isaiah and the 30 pieces and him, they whom they pierced, it is he. And again, it should put, put spiritual iron in your blood to know that God was, was doing this and sharing this with Zechariah and, and, Alex, it just keeps on. Look at verse 6 of chapter 13. And someone will say to him, What are these wounds in your hand? Mm. Then he'll answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Alex, again, Zechariah just bam, bam. You catch what I'm saying? That's the reason I said next to Isaiah. Uh, I think Zechariah is is that fulfillment of that. Real quickly, we had not got but 30 more seconds. We've got to look further than that. Look, if you would, at chapter 14, verse 4. And that day, Jesus' feet, his feet, will stand on the Mount of Olives, which Amen. faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west. Alex, he's coming back. He came the first time, but he said, I'm going to go away, but I will come again. He is coming again, isn't he? He is coming, and it may be soon. And, folks, when we come back, we're going to take your phone calls. The number, 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. Call us. We'll take your questions after this. So, Hannah, she's just one of the women who did struggle with infertility in the Bible. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White. Hannah took her pain to God, and God heard her and was with her. Hannah's Heart helps couples process infertility and miscarriage through a biblical lens. Join us Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. Find the podcast at AFR.net. What would you do? I'm Sadie. I 
I appreciate your thought behind the gift card, but I just can't take it. I promise not to shop at Target because they allow men in areas that need to be private and protected for women and children. I hope you'll go to afa.net slash Target and learn about it. I'm not giving them my money. Aunt Sadie didn't know about AFA's call to boycott Target, but she knows now, and so do you. Learn even more at afa.net slash Target. afa.net slash Target. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Buzz Aldrin is the famed astronaut who planted the American flag on the moon and explored it for some 21 hours. What many don't know, however, is what Mr. Aldrin did to commemorate the moon landing. Aldrin, a committed Christian and elder in his local church, Mark the incredible occasion by celebrating Holy Communion. The first meal ever eaten on the moon was a celebration of the Lord's table, a lunar declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord, Savior, and soon coming King. That is pretty cool. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 12 says, Our brother Apollos will come when he has opportunity. Nicole and her two-year-old son Clark were watching the local high school homecoming parade. Nicole didn't realize when Clark began choking on a piece of candy because he made no noise. But when she saw that he had turned blue, Nicole frantically screamed for help. When Tyra, a cheerleader riding on a parade float, heard Nicole's cries, she jumped from the float and ran to help. Tyra saved Clark's life because she was trained, she was ready, and she was willing when she was needed. God can use you in mighty ways when you are trained, available, and willing to serve when He sends opportunity your way. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1.3 American Family Radio Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. What will I say when I'm filled to the flame like I am right now? Welcome back to Exploring the Word. You are listening to the American Family Radio Network. And by the way, AFR.net, the website and the mobile device for the American Family Radio Network. This show and all others are archived there, plus just tons of great programming from the Hamilton Corner, airing the Addisons, today's issues, Sandy Rios in the morning. There's just so much there. And I would encourage you to look at it and surf uh, AFR.net, and you can send a link and share this with somebody and maybe uh, make this content a blessing to somebody else. And uh, the number, though, we're going to take calls, Bible questions. The number is 888-589-8840. And, Bert, aren't we blessed to talk to all these people each and every day of the week? We are. And that, again, I I don't want to take too much time, but that's kind of what separates uh, exploring the Word from other Bible teaching programs that we have here on on AFR. We've got some great Bible teachers. We want you to know that. We love them. But what makes AFR, uh, Exploring the Word, a little bit different is the discussion that Alex and I try to have. And uh, both of us, every once in a while, we'll, we'll get caught up in preaching, and we'll preach a little longer than we, we thought <laughs> we were. Guilty as charged, I am. Hey, but then we get to answer questions that people ask. So that's where we're going now, and we're going to uh, go to the phones and talk to Stephen in Texas. Stephen, what part of Texas are you in? Uh, I'm from East Texas. Amen. Amen. That's, that's a long way from West Texas, you know. It is, probably about 10 hours or so. I know. If you ever drive across Texas, and uh, especially on Interstate 20, you'll find out how wide that state is. Go ahead, Steve. You got a question for us? 
Yes, sir. Uh, first, I'd just like to thank y'all for everything that y'all do. I listen to y'all just about every day, and I really appreciate all the work you're doing, all the all the, uh, all the the teaching that y'all do for us. I really appreciate it. Um, my question has to do with uh, Matthew 24 and the parable of the fig tree. My, my grandfather was a Baptist preacher, and growing up, he always would talk about the parable of the fig tree, and he believed that that was uh, an allusion to Israel becoming a nation again, and thought that that the generation that saw Israel become a nation uh, might be the generation that they were speaking of. I've, I've read the chapter myself, and I'm not educated as far, you know, as far as uh, going to seminary, but it doesn't, I'm not sure if I read it the same way that he did, but I'm, I'm curious of what y'all's thoughts are on that. Well, praise the Lord for the mm. Baptist preacher heritage you have. You're talking to two Baptist preachers right now, <laughs> Stephen, and uh, we, hey, we, but the good thing about what happened to Alex and me uh, brother, we're at home with God's people. When they know Jesus and make much of Jesus, uh, we're at home with them regardless of the name, denomination. But, Alex, we've talked about this fig tree. Uh, it's been an allusion to Israel several times. Is it here? Well, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think it does. And, you know, um, Jesus says in Matthew twenty four thirty two, learn this parable of the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves. You know that summer is near. You know, there's a verse uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the summer is over, the harvest is past, and we are not saved. Uh, not only do I think the fig tree refers to Israel, but I think the budding of the fig tree refers to Christ's second coming. Okay, uh, when a fig tree would put out leaves... You know, summer was uh, upon them, but by the end of summer and harvest time, uh, the season is over. Many people think, and and I remember years ago, Burton, this was 25 years ago, but John Walvard spoke at Liberty University. Do you remember John Walvard? Yes, I do. And he wrote a um, huge book, Things to Come. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> if you yes. Can, hey, it's, it's a big book, but go ahead, Alex. Well, and John Walvard, he's passed away. He was a big um, leader at Dallas Seminary, brilliant, brilliant uh, academic. He wrote a book called Oil, Armageddon, and the Middle East. I don't know if you remember that book. But he talked about, in a biblical sense, the idea of the fig tree being Israel. And remember Jesus, you know, we talked about the branch. And Jesus said, I am the true vine. See, the true, the true fig tree really the true vine is Jesus. We can be grafted in through faith in Jesus. But the budding of the fig tree, uh, Walvard, Harold Wilmington, others, Billy Graham, talked about that this meant the rebirth of Israel. And by summer coming, summer ending, the harvest season is past. Many, Bert, believe that this season called history is drawing to a close. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know how to be ready, don't we? And that's through faith in Christ. But Jesus said, when you see all these things coming, you know it is near, very near at the doors. And turmoil in the Middle East, um, the the push for a one-world government, a one-world currency, the loss of morals, the great apostasy of falling away from biblical truth, instability, violence, uh, Bert. Uh, I, I just don't know any other time in world history where all of these things have coalesced at the same time together, plus Israel is in their land. Yeah, We I, may be near the time of Christ's return. I mean, just one quick comment, and it's one of the great teachers of our day. Dr. David Jeremiah says, we've never had so many scriptures line up at this time that sets the stage for the possibility of the return of Christ. Mm. And uh, I, I agree fully. Thank you, Stephen. I hope that gives you it. It I really believe it's Israel. Now, the generation that we're talking about, we're not exactly sure, but the timing, it could be at any time. Thank you again. Let's stay in Texas and talk to John. John, welcome. Thanks, guys. Hey, uh, two quick things. Brother, I think I'm losing you a minute. Go ahead. Start all okay. over, John. Okay, I uh, was a theolo Catholic theology teacher for over 17 years, and one of my assignments we did in class, we would take the book of Isaiah, I'd give like half a chapter to each student, then we'd go to the next couple of chapters and do it as much as we could in one class period. And just doing that in one class period, we found over 300 
verses that basically said something about Jesus. Amen, John. Amen. Thank you for that. That that's I, I get excited about you getting excited about that because that's really what turned me on to the scriptures being reliable. I knew they were, Alex. You know, you know you are in your mind, but when it becomes real to you, it dives in and goes deep and changes your life. You know, don't you agree? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, uh, much, much we could say about this, but uh, Josh McDowell, who's a, a great speaker, I think about an, another author I'd love for you all to know about, Peter Kreeft, K-R-E-E-F-T. He basically, when he kind of had his faith crisis, but he searched it out, and here's Jesus, born in Bethlehem, sinless life, fulfilled these prophecies, rose from the dead. Kreeft said if it wasn't Jesus, then history itself makes no sense and life is incomprehensible. However, if it is Jesus and everything, the prophecies, the empty tomb, everything points to it being Jesus, then life has meaning, we have hope, we have comfort, and it's a step of faith. But, friend, you will find... Bert, there was an old song in the 70s. I'm going to show my age here. This was an old gospel song. Jesus is right for whatever's wrong with your life. Just give him a chance, and Jesus will prove that every promise he made is true. Jesus is right for whatever's wrong with your life. That is true. He is the Savior. He's the authentic, the real one. Trust him today. Amen. Amen. Let's go to Georgia and talk to Eric. Eric, welcome. Yes, sir. I have a question. Uh, is tithing is tithing God's plans for giving today, or is it free will giving, like uh, Pastor John MacArthur he he stated? I'll put it this way: tithing is the place to start. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and I don't mean to be flipping about it, but if you paid a tithe under law, how much more should you pay under grace? And I know that's preacher talk, but it's good talk. I, I will say that. Uh, tithing, Jesus said these things you should have done and not left the other things undone. And one of them that he said that he said you sh- that you did right was tithe, but you shouldn't have let the others off. Tithing is a place to start, isn't it, Alex? It is. I, I believe every Christian should tithe. And and the word tithe, T-I-T-H-E, means ten, a tenth, ten percent. And like you said, Bert, I mean, a Christian under grace should at least do as much as a Jewish person was under the law. Uh, but I, I think the tithe, like you say, it's a place to start. And I just want to say you can't outgive God. You, you can't outgive God. Um, I'd rather have the the ninety percent with the favor and the blessing of God than try to hang on to the hundred percent and be out of God's will, Bert. Amen. Jesus said, "Give and it shall be given unto you." But then it says, "Full up and running over and packed down." That's Bert's mm-hmm. version. So, uh, man, listen, just love him and 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 give is under the Lord. Can Thank I say you. one thing? Yeah, Bert. go ahead. There was a Roman emperor, Julian, and and you'll recall, everybody, that the Roman Empire was not a friend of the church in the early uh, days. But you know what? One of uh, the historians wrote that ancient Romans were surprised, and even the emperor Julian embarrassed, that Christians cared not only for their own, but also for their pagan neighbors. And they cared for the elderly, they cared for the orphans, they cared for female uh, children that were often discarded, uh, and Rodney Stark, a twice Pulitzer-nominated historian, writes about how the church turned the Roman world upside down, not only because the message is true, but because they had such big families, and much to the embarrassment of the, the Romans, and it was all because of tithing and giving, the churches had the ability to care for their own and for their neighbors. Why? Because of the generosity of the believers. Well, look what we're doing with Operation Christmas Child. 9.7 million children is going to receive a shoebox that was packed Amen. by believers. Yes, Christians make a difference. Make a difference where you are. Let's go to Mississippi and talk to Jerry. Jerry, welcome. Good, Alex. How are you all doing? Doing great Good. today. Doing welcome. Great. Yes, it's, 
uh, it's incomprehensible when someone, I was talking to a guy just a few minutes ago, and how can someone say that there is not a literal lake of fire and to say that it is symbolic when the Bible says lake of fire, burning with fire and brimstone, how, how can you not reconcile that? You know, I, I would yeah. like for you all to ex- expound that more for me. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate you sharing it with people, too. Truth. Alex, uh, do you know any kind of city or community that does not have, quote, and don't use this vernacular too much, a garbage dump? Or does air, if you've, you've, it's a village or whatever, that's for what? Waste. Uh, yeah. You know, I hate to put it that way, but when someone has wasted their life not trusting Christ, uh, there's a place you go. In the New Testament, Jesus it referred to a place called Gehenna, uh, a place where the fire always burns and the worm never dies. Yeah. Jesus sure did sound like it was literal, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, Let me say, folks, do not be misled. Hell is real. The lake of fire is real. For those that die in a state of unbelief, those that reject Jesus. um, One of the seminars I do, Bert, when I am invited to travel and speak, I don't get this requested much, but I teach on it when when I'm asked to. Uh, Divine retribution, reconciling the love of God with the reality of hell. And... uh, Jonathan Edwards, one of the first presidents of Princeton University, great scholar in early America, regarding the lake of fire and hell, he said, "'Tis dreadful, tis awful, but tis true." So, folks, it's in the Bible. Jesus taught it as being literal. I believe it's literal, Bert. I do, too. I do. I want to tell you. Someone said to me, if it was a word picture of a of a real place, how much horrible more it would be if it were real, you know? So mm-hmm. <laughs> you catch what he's saying. He, he wasn't denying it being real. He said, but if it was mm-hmm. a picture of how it would be, how much more worse would it be? I agree mm-hmm. with him. Amen. Let's, we're going to try to get in one more question. Uh, Kyra, we don't have a lot of time. Go right ahead. Uh, yes, thank you for your show, and I recently got your book and can't wait to start studying that. Amen, Kyra. Thank Amen. you. Thank you. Uh, my question's on the transfiguration. I was reading in the Gospels on that today, and where the disciples asked Jesus about uh, Elijah coming first, and he answers that he has come and that it was John the Baptist. Does that mean that they're one and the same. I mean, can you explain that? Okay, we're going to take it real quick. Alex, it's one like unto uh, Elijah, isn't it? Not necessarily the same person, but one like unto him. Yeah, yeah, um, because Luke one seventeen says that uh, John the Baptist came, quote, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, John the Baptist was not Elijah literally, but John the Baptist was that forerunner that we mentioned in Zechariah who points the way to the arrival of the Lord, just as Elijah in the Old Testament uh, called out about the coming of the Lord. And so, um, you know, it's a type, really, a a prefiguring, if you would. Just like if somebody's an evangelist, they say, well, he's a real Billy Graham, you know, or or that man, you know, he's a real, you know, whatever. John the Baptist was like Elijah, but he wasn't numerically, genetically, the same as Elijah, but he came in that kind of role. Let me just say this. We need the spirit of Elijah and John the Baptist today. So you who are pastors and teachers, don't let fear keep you from being courageous and loving. We can do both. Let's do it for the glory of God. Alex, Mm -hmm. we're going to look at Malachi tomorrow. Looking forward to that, brother. Indeed. God bless you, folks. Thanks for listening. Tell somebody about exploring the Word. Most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. God bless you. Thanks for listening.